Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, Buffalo Fanatics? Josh Allen here. Just wanted to say, uh, go Bills. What a day it was. What a day we had here up in Western New York. And it wasn't even for the weather. It wasn't even the best weather today. It was okay. But we finally are starting to get some rain as we are in the drought. Talk about a drought at the end of May, beginning of June already. The grass is already brown. So we started to get some rain a little bit today. But the reason why it was such a great day is I'm talking charities here. We had the annual Jeffrey Brady Beach Bocce Tournament held up at Woodlawn Beach in Blaisdell, New York. And man, what a great turnout for that. As I'm going to fade the music out right now because I need to talk about this. Good evening, everyone. Welcome into the BF Writers Club. This is Kevin Syracuse, your host on Buffalo Fanatics. And yeah, we had a great day up at Woodlawn Beach. And what this tournament is, is Jeff, you might remember Jeff with Sons of Erie. He was a sponsor of our show a couple months ago. He came on the show with us. I think it was right before the draft. And he hosts this tournament with the help of Harrison Phillips and Ilio DePaulo's. So they run this event, and the money goes to Harrison Phillips Playmakers Foundation and the Ilio DePaulo Scholarship Fund. So just a great day, great turnout. Like I said, the weather wasn't the best. The rain held off for the most part, and it was a great day. And I got to meet Harrison Phillips. I got to meet Kyrie Elam. I got to meet Quentin Morris. Tommy Doyle was there. Alec Anderson, Ryan Vandemark. So a whole bunch of guys were there. Real cool experience. And Quentin Morris and Kyrie Elam want to come on the show. So make sure you keep it locked and loaded here on Buffalo Fanatics because they are going to come on the show sometime over the summer. We were talking probably after this mandatory mini camp and before training camp, I got Quentin Morris's number. So we're buddies now. We're going to chat it up and see when we can uh, get this thing rolling here. So yeah, with that, good evening. Once again, this is Kevin Syracuse on the BF Writers Club. And to set things up tonight, I want to talk about this tournament a little bit more before we get into it, because then, as you can see by the title of the show, I didn't get into the rankings just yet. I want to take a little bit of time here because it is a summer, it's the offseason, so we have some time. And Brandon Bean has continued to build this roster. And if you remember, I was very critical at the end of the draft, and I am feeling very good about what he has done, specifically for three moves probably upwards of five moves that we're going to be talking about tonight. But what he has done after the draft has really gained a lot of confidence in me. So I'm going to bring Zach on in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about those moves. Bryce will be on after that. He will share his thoughts. And then we will talk about Josh being on the Madden cover because that is awesome, right? And then we will also talk about the new stadium and anything else you guys want to talk about. Got about 50 people in the chat here. You might be watching on YouTube. Might be watching on Facebook, Twitter. We also stream live on Twitch. But no matter what, make sure you give us a follow on Buffalo Fanatics. Give me a follow at Kevin underscore Syracuse. And smash that like button. Smash the subscribe button. And make sure you are a part of the show tonight, June 11th, baby. Here we go as mandatory minicamp is starting on Tuesday. 
So before I bring Zach on, yeah, I was talking to Quentin Morris a little bit today, and he was like, yeah, here we go. We got minicamp starting. And I was like, yeah, how, how are you looking? How's the tight end room looking? Because we started talking about Kincaid, and he was like, dude, it's good, man. And I was like, you like that now? You like that there's someone else in the room? And he's like, yeah, man, we're, we're going to be good. And I don't want to get into it too much because we we really didn't get into it that much in conversation. We're going to save it for when we can hopefully get him on the show in a few weeks. But he was basically just saying that he thinks it's going to work out really well between Dawson Knox, Dalton Kincaid, and himself. And he was saying, hey, we might run some two tight end sets, maybe three tight end sets. And I asked him about using Kincaid in the slot. And he was like, hey, don't, don't forget, we usually use tight ends in the slot anyways. It's not like that brand new thing where it's like, oh, my God, here's the new Cole Beasley. So I'm very interested and looking forward to being able to chat it up with Quentin Moore, Harrison Phillips, great guy. You know, some of these guys seem like they're really nice and you're like, are they just doing that for the PR and for the camera? But you can tell Harrison is legit, a down to earth, really good guy. And I was really glad that I was able to meet him. And I didn't get into it too much because they're in the championship round of the bocce tournament. But I basically just introduced myself, told him, you know, with Buffalo Fanatics, I'm one of Jeff's friends and just happy to be here. And he was just really cool. And I asked him a little bit about Minnesota and how he's liking it up there. And he said that he likes his work environment and he likes the team, but he misses the culture and all the relationships that he built back here. But he was grateful and he said he's fortunate enough to be able to still have his foundation and he's able to come back for weeks like this. And I believe he said they're going to be hosting his Playmakers Foundation I can't remember exactly what it's called, but they're going to be at the stadium next week. So he will be back in town for that. Um, I'm seeing in the comments here, love Sunday Funday streams. Thank you. No, thank you guys for being a part of it because, you know, we were talking about before we got on here, the Stanley Cup isn't on tonight. NBA Finals game five will be tomorrow. We do have the Yankees and Red Sox. As you can see, I'm a Yankees fan. Haven't even watched that. I saw something happen. Did John Sterling get hit today? I saw the notification as I was coming back from Woodlawn. Um, but yeah, you know, this is a great time during the offseason to just chat it up with you guys and talk some football. So yeah, with that, um, let's talk about what we're going to be talking about tonight. And again, I just wanted to take some time to really just figure out and, and realize what Brandon Bean has done with this team. Because after the draft, I said this, and I think a lot of people shared these same sentiments where you said, okay, that was a solid draft, but the Bills still don't have an edge rusher. They didn't get a defensive tackle and they didn't get a right tackle. And taking it a step further, we wanted that edge rusher to help when Von Miller was out. And even when he's healthy, you say, well, behind Von, what do the Bills really have? Because no one really stepped up in the playoffs last year. And now the Buffalo News came out with that report today at the Von Miller Pass Summit that Von is saying that he is healthy and he thinks he can avoid the pup list. So that is great news. But again, Von Miller is always Mr. Optimistic. So take it with a grain of salt. Hopefully he'll be back ready to go. But that was one of the big areas that we were saying, regardless whether he's ready to go week one or not, you want to get another edge rusher to help with Groot and Shaq Lawson and Boogie Basham and AJ Epinesa. The Bills also didn't have a defensive tackle signed past this season. And then going over to the offensive line, 
you wanted to, to get some insurance for Spencer Brown after his shaky season last year. And I know he battled through those injuries early on, pretty much during this time last year, during mini camps and, and training camp. And according to Brandon Bean and the rest of the reporters, he was just never really able to get on track. And he was almost kind of rushed into the season where he didn't have that full off season to train. So we wanted them to get more insurance, but coming out of that draft, no right tackle, no defensive end, no defensive tackle. So you're like, okay, what's going on here? But then Brandon Bean signs Puna Ford. And we're like, okay, where did that come from? And then they get Leonard Floyd right after we logged off last week. Like Zach said in the tweet, death taxes and Brandon Bean signing someone that we talk about the night before. And we didn't really talk about Leonard Floyd, but we did talk about maybe using the money that they created from extending Ed Oliver. That was another move that was in there. But maybe they can use some of that money to go sign someone else. And that someone else ended up being Leonard Floyd. So that was a great signing. They also signed Brandon Shell, the right tackle from the Dolphins. They got Cameron Dantzler, the cornerback from Minnesota. And let's not forget Latavius Murray. And that is a very sneaky one because Latavius Murray is at power back. And the Bills running back room was already set for the most part. Damian Harris was that power back. But Damian Harris has dealt with a lot of soft tissue injuries over his career. And if he pulls a hammy or something, now you have that insurance. You have Latavius Murray to come in and be that power back. And he's been pretty durable over his career. Speaking of insurance, that's why I like the Brandon Shell signing so much, a veteran to help out with Spencer Brown, where you're not saying, okay, Spencer, your time is up. We drafted Darnell Wright in round one. And obviously the Bears took him very early. I'm just giving an example. The Bills didn't take a right tackle early. That wasn't an indictment on Spencer Brown. That was a vote of confidence where the Bills said, hey, you're still our guy. We drafted you relatively high. We know that you didn't have the best season last year, but that's why we go out and get a 30-year-old veteran or, or however old he is. But he is going to push you along, and he's at depth and competition. Same thing with Cameron Dantzler. Now, I don't know exactly what happened with that situation, but he was very promising. A third-round draft pick by Minnesota back in 2020, and I think they just wanted a fresh start because with this new regime, you know, they're getting rid of Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen. I talked to Harrison about that today, too. I said, you know, you lose Adam Thielen, but you draft Jordan Addison. So you're really not falling off that much. And he was like, yeah, man, like it, it's pretty solid. I should have asked him about Dantzler, though. But like I said, it was during the final round of the bocce tournament. So I, I didn't really have too much time. I did get a picture with all these guys, though. So, again, make sure to follow me on Twitter here and Instagram. I'll be posting those either tonight or tomorrow based on how late the show goes. But, yeah, back to Cameron Dantzler. For whatever reason, it just didn't work out. And that could be another sneaky signing for the Bills where you're thinking similar with the running back room. That corner room is already set with the healthy Trey White, a healthy Kyrie Elam. You have Dane Jackson back. You have Christian Benford that's back healthy. I mean, those are four really good corners right there. So you're kind of already set as it is, but now you add Dantzler as that fifth outside corner, not even to mention the inside corners and guys like Cam Lewis and Saran Neal who have that inside-outside versatility. But that is that depth and competition that we didn't necessarily need, but we wanted. Like I said, the three that we pretty much needed were Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, 
and Brandon Shell. Those are the three positions that a lot of us thought was a need going into the season. And the running back in the corner, that's kind of an accessory. But overall, I'm really happy with what Brandon Bean did with this roster over the last few weeks. So with that, I'm going to bring Zach on as soon as he is ready to go, and then we'll bring Bryce on in a little bit. Uh, while I'm bringing Zach on, I'm going to go through the comments, make sure I didn't miss anything in here. But yeah, Zach is ready to go. We got 90 people in the chat here, so a nice turnout tonight. Zach, how you doing? I'm pretty good. Enjoying the last vestiges of my Sunday night. <laughs> Work in the morning or afternoon? Yep. Tomorrow morning, 5 a.m. It's going to be a Ooh. lot of fun. <laughs> you and Bryce, the early risers. So, all right, Zach. Uh, what are you thinking about the moves that Brandon Bean has made as of late? All the guys that I just talked about, and even going into like the roster construction, how do you feel about this team? Because for me, I was confident with this team, but I still felt a little piece was missing. Actually, a couple pieces for that matter. But just something wasn't there where I was like, I can't immediately just say, oh, my God, we're Super Bowl bound because of those holes that needed to get patched up. But now that they did, I'm feeling pretty good. So how are you feeling? I will say I was probably this time last week, probably in the same boat wasn't entirely thrilled with the defensive end room only because Vaughn Miller is going to be out for a certain amount of time. I don't personally believe he'll be on the field week one. And if he is, I think it would be a big mistake, but signing Leonard Floyd literally less than 24 hours after we were discussing that on the show last week made me feel a whole lot better, especially because now you got that replacement until Vaughn's ready to come back. And then when he co does come back, you have a third pass rushing option, a third high-level pass rushing option in your defensive end room. And that is something that the Bills have been more or less lacking over the last couple of years. I mean, it got better last year with Vaughn Miller there, but after he got injured, it sort of went back to the way it was the year before. So I think that's probably the best signing they made. And second best would have to be Puna Ford. Because, again, you get another capable one tech and somebody who could potentially be a long-term option, too, because he's only 27. Daquan Jones is 33. but And obviously still deserving of a new contract, but we don't know how much longer certain players are going to be here. So it's nice to try to bring in some new guys see whether or not they could fill the holes going forward. And I agree with what Christopher is saying in the comments. He just commented and said, I feel with the roster that Bean has built, it makes me feel like we will have a deeper run into the playoffs. And I agree because I think these were the missing ingredients where last year we were so happy with Von Miller and rightfully so, but you saw what happened when he goes down. You're left with Greg Rousseau, Shaq Lawson, Boogie Basham, and AJ Epinesa, and nothing against those guys, but they're not those proven finishers in the playoffs. They're nice in the regular season, but when you go without Von Miller and it's up to those guys to get the job done, you're looking at what we saw last year where they just pretty much went silent. So now you get Leonard Floyd, a guy who's played with Von Miller, 
He has a Super Bowl ring. He has a lot of experience. And this is a guy that has 29 sacks over the last three seasons. That is that experience that we're talking about. Same thing with Puna Ford. Now, he doesn't have the Super Bowl victory, but he has that experience. And he gives you more depth where someone like Daquan Jones, he went down and he didn't play that Bengals game. And look what happened. The Bengals gashed the Bills for 172 rushing yards. Now you get another one tech like Puna Ford to clog up that middle. And the other part why I like it so much is regardless of who the new middle linebacker is, having a big body up front helps free space for that linebacker to roam around, whether it's Dorian Williams or Terrell Dodson, Balen Spector, AJ Klein, any of these guys, those big bodies up front will help in so many different ways. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those positions, especially during training camp, preseason, and during the long regular season, you're going to want some depth. You're going to want quality depth at those positions. And I know you, know you mentioned Dantzler, and he he's intriguing because I think because I think a lot of people are kind of questioning like why he was available in the first place. He was a third round pick in 2020 from Minnesota. He played three years there and must have gotten released by Minnesota early in the off season. And then Washington signed him in March, but released him at the end of May without, because they drafted two corners. So it's interesting that he ended up, signing in Buffalo to compete for a depth spot as opposed to trying to find a more significant role somewhere else unless he didn't have the market for it. Yeah, so I was looking into this before. Minnesota released him on March 10th. Washington signed him on March 13th, and then they released him on May 30th. So he's just been bouncing around a little bit where I think we were talking about this before. I would have to look into Washington's draft, but I think that they were content with the the corners that they must have selected in the draft. Or they said, okay, now we don't need Dantzler anymore. But it's weird because this was a guy who was pretty promising, and I thought he had a role on Minnesota's defense, you know, third-round pick just a few years ago, and now he gets released two times over the last couple of months. Yeah, there's definitely something interesting to say about that maybe it's a defensive philosophy thing because minnesota has a new defensive coordinator in town got rid of ed donatel replaced him with brian flores right yeah and real quick not to cut you off but when i was talking to harrison phillips today he reminded me that they have brian flores now and i was like oh that's right and he was like yeah he's nice so that's a big addition for them because flores was the linebacker coach in pittsburgh last year right Yep, that's where he ended up after uh, getting unfairly fired by Miami. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so what, what were you saying about Dantzler? So I was saying that it's just, it's interesting that he was available, but also this isn't unusual for Brandon Bean to make nice under-the-radar depth signings in May and June, so just another feather in Bean's cap that he's able to identify quality talent late in the offseason process. So I'm looking at Minnesota's depth chart here, and they acquired Byron Murphy from Arizona. And let's see. Well, they're having him in the slot. So there's a Caleb Evans, Andrew Booth, who they drafted last year, 
Jawan Williams, Kalen Barnes, Makai Blackman. So, like, on paper, I'm not really impressed with these corners. So, I'm not sure exactly what's going on there and why they released Dantzler because, again, the paper test would show, oh, Dantzler's probably going to be starting opposite Byron Murphy as long as they don't put him in the slot. But it just seems like that's a big hole on the roster now. But, hey, they, they know more than me. We're not Vikings fans. We don't cover the Vikings. So I'm glad he's on the Bills. Yep. And there's nothing like good quality competition and depth at positions that you're already strong at. Iron sharpens iron, right? Yeah. And going back to the Minnesota point real quick, this could be a case where you get the new regime in there and Brian Flores may say, you know what? I want to get my guys in here. And he doesn't really fit stylistically he doesn't really fit our system i mean look they just got rid of delvin cook and that's probably one of the best running backs in the nfl still i know he's what 27 now so he's getting up there but you release delvin cook you release adam thielen a lot of other cap casualties so it's probably a case of where they're saying all right you know what let's not necessarily start from scratch because we still have captain kirk but let's get rid of some of the bad contracts, some of the players that don't really fit what we want to do, and then build it up from there. Yeah, and I think it's a case of, yeah, the new regime was always going to probably do something like this. Maybe their initial plan was they assumed that they would go be terrible last year and then be able to do more of a rebuild, and they lucked their way into a 13-4 and four season. But obviously, the fact that they're making these moves now after a 13-4 and season means that they must have had some sort of plan in place to do something like this. Anyways, and obviously it is, you kind of do question, it's like, what are you doing? You're getting rid of some of your top players. But Adam Thielen is 30-plus years old. He's almost over the hill at this point. Like, they, it's understandable they needed to move on from him and his contract. Delvin Cook... He was probably still worth whatever they were paying him. But at the same time, Alexander Madison has provided solid production in his limited time replacing him. And again, we're not Vikings. We don't cover the Vikings, so I'm going to try to keep it brief right here. But obviously, in the case of Dantzler, Minnesota's loss is Buffalo's gain. One last thing about Minnesota. I was just thinking, I was looking at their running back room. What if they get Zeke? You cut Dalvin Cook and you sign Zeke as that power back to pair with Madison. <laughs> what, Zeke? To Minnesota? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> well, tying this back to the Bills, someone in the comments, it was John Robert, he mentioned this earlier. I forgot to mention Alex Austin, the Bills' seventh-round draft pick. That's another guy in the mix for the corner room where – I mentioned five guys, including Dantzler. Now you have six. Alex Austin was that big physical corner that was a sneaky, underrated draft pick late on Saturday. But there is that six outside corner. And I saw Jamarcus Ingram had a message where I, I can't remember exactly who interviewed him. Maybe it was in the Buffalo News. But he said, when you're constructing your rosters this summer, don't leave me off of it. So he's got something to prove, too. I mean, I know Jamarcus Ingram, we're probably not thinking that he's going to push these guys, but the point is 
the Bills have really built up their defensive back room. And, you know, making this a general point here, tying this all together, if we're talking about the Bills roster and how it's looking going into minicamp this week, it is huge that you have Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer coming back. Now, these aren't guys that were signed over the last couple of weeks like we're talking about. But again, that general scope of things, that is so big in itself right there when you have arguably the best safety duo in the NFL back in the saddle. And then you add a guy like Cameron Dantzler and Alex Austin and the defensive lineman that we talked about. So this team, on paper at least, this is looking very, very complete. Yep, no arguments there. And what do you think about Brandon Shell? We'll, we'll go over to the offense now. So Brandon Shell and Latavius Murray, two guys where maybe they might not make the most contributions this year, but it's that comfort zone where you say, okay, if Spencer Brown isn't playing well or if he goes down with an injury, now we have someone. And same thing with Damian Harris. If he goes down with a hamstring injury or any other injury, you have Latavius Murray to be that power back. I do think Latavius Murray was a really good signing, especially because not only is he a backup power back, he's also a veteran presence in the room. Because obviously James Cook, younger, he's like a second-year guy. Damian Harris entering his second contract, but he's not quite a, you know, a veteran as many would consider. And you have Naheem Hines, who's, you know, Naheem Hines, he's just going to be mainly a return man, maybe have a limited offensive role. But Latavius Murray is a guy who has consistently produced everywhere he's gone, every stop, for over a dec about a decade. And he can still be effective. And I could think of worse options to have as an RB4. Well, look at it this way. The Bills got rid of death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams. And now you have a fourth running back who can actually contribute and not just, I'm sorry if there are any Taiwan Jones fans out there or special teams in general. But to me, that was a waste of a roster spot. So now that fourth running back could actually be a serious contributor. Yeah, and also, let's not forget, too, the NFL just adopted a one-year trial rule where they are going to adopt the college fair catch rule on kickoffs. So that might make special teams a little less of a priority in roster construction, at least for this year. Say that again. The NFL is going to adopt the college fair catch rule, you know, where if you oh, yeah, catch yeah. anywhere inside of the 25 yard line, it goes out as a touchback. So like in terms of like roster construction, that's like one less role for someone who's not going to see offense or defensive snaps. One less thing they're really going to be able to make the roster on. And it could affect roster construction, at least for this year. I wonder if Taiwan Jones latches on one more time or <laughs> if that was his send-off last year. Eh, I'm sure they may find a way sometime during camp just to bring him in. <laughs> like, come on, Give him more training camp? <laughs> Go ahead and sprint down the sideline. <laughs> John has two comments here that I want to bring up because then I see some people are talking about the middle linebacker spot. So I want to bring up John's comments first. We'll talk about the linebacker position and then we'll bring Bryce on to encapsulate all of this. So 
John says they released Kyler McMichael to make room for Cameron Dantzler. That is correct. And he says that the emergency QB was passed also. So, okay, now going over to Norm's comment here, who is a middle linebacker, and Chase for that matter, who's going to fill Edmund's spot? Man, I, I really don't know. Because I think this is legit an open competition. And if we're thinking Dorian Williams, I don't think that it's going to be him just yet. Because I feel like that's why they brought Tyrell Dodson back and A.J. Klein. Because Dorian Williams had a very simplistic defensive scheme at Tulane. And now that it's more complex at the NFL level, I don't think they want to rush him in and say, oh, you're filling in for Tremaine Edmonds week one Monday night football against Aaron Rodgers. So I think they want to go with a proven veteran and that'll probably take away Balen Spector too, for that matter. So, and probably Terrell Bernard, I, I'm really thinking this is going to be Terrell Dodson or AJ Klein, at least to start, you know, if they do really well, they can keep riding them out. If they don't do well, then you look to one of the one to, to uh, one of the young guys here, but eventually as in next year, 2024, 2025, I think it's going to be Dorian Williams Maybe Terrell Bernard, maybe Balen Spector, but that's how I see it. They're going to go with the veteran first, and then that'll transition into the younger guys. Yeah, that's how I see it unfolding, too. I would not be shocked if come training camp preseason, you see Tyrell Dodson running with the ones. And maybe, and again, maybe early season, unless Dorian Williams just absolutely blows everyone away. I think they would go with the steady veteran or the veteran option in Tyrell Dodson to start the year. But as the season progresses, maybe they put Dorian Williams in more, give him some more situations to work with. Well, look what happened last year. I mean, they, they had so many rookies that were supposed to be key contributors, Kyrie Elam, James Cook, Khalil Shakir, and they slow played these guys to the point where we were begging them to put them on the field. Like, give me some more Khalil Shakir, please. So if we're thinking that they're going to race Dorian Williams out there week one, I don't think that's going to be the case. And I see someone in the comments is saying that it's not, I think it was Joey. He said it. Um, AJ Klein said, it's an easy defense to learn. This will not be a problem for Williams. That may be true, but just knowing how the bills act, I don't think that they're going to want to rush into it. And I think that they're going to put Dodson or Klein out there week one. Because again, I, I know I always make this point, but Terrell Dodson tweeted his goodbyes to Buffalo on January 29th once the season ended. And then a couple months later, or a couple weeks later, actually, the Bills re-signed him. So I think to me, looking at it now, obviously the Bills and Brandon Bean didn't know what was going to happen in the future. But I'm thinking that they had an inkling that, okay, Maybe we're not going to get Jack Campbell. We're probably not going to sign Bobby Wagner or Levante David or any of these big name guys. We're probably going to have to draft someone like a Dorian Williams in the mid rounds of the draft. So it's probably smart to get one of these guys back on a bridge deal. Just come back for one year, compete for the job. And then after that, if you want to come back, that's up to you, but it'll probably be the rookies position the following year. Yeah, like I said, that'll probably be, that's at least what I'm expecting. We'll see whether or not there are any surprises with that. But, And I wonder how Sean McDermott affects this, because now that the Bills don't have Leslie Frazier calling plays as a defensive coordinator, 
does it get easier or harder or does it stay the same with McDermott taking over the play calling? Like maybe he makes it so they can speed Dorian Williams up and he says, we're, we're going to take away some of these plays and we're going to make it as simple as possible for you. Or maybe McDermott says, well, Frazier is way too basic and now we need to get more aggressive. So I'm going to go back to my veterans here that I've been coaching the last couple of years until you get the hang of things. Yeah, that, that is another interesting question to ask because when Tremaine Edmonds was here, he was the play caller on the defense. He was the one telling everyone the plays. But now that he's not there, who's going to be doing that? Are you going to trust that to a rookie? Are you going to trust that to Tyrell Dodson, who, even though he's been here a couple of years, hasn't had a ton of starter reps, doesn't have that type of experience? Is it going to be – do you maybe – Make Matt, let Matt Milano do it. Do you have Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, one of the elder statesmen on the defense? We'll see. But I was going to say, yeah, who, who calls the plays? Maybe they give it to Milano. Now, this could sound dumb, but I'm going to say it anyways. Would it matter where they're standing on the field? Like, Do you want someone in the middle of the field, like your middle linebacker, to be calling the plays? Because when it gets loud in the stadium, you want to be able to hear in front and behind and maybe would it be too hard for Poyer to call something out on the back end and the defensive lineman are turn around saying, like, dude, I can't hear you. What's going on? And I guess the linebackers could relay the message. I'm just kind of thinking out loud here, but we've grown accustomed to the middle linebacker calling the plays in McDermott's defense. And I agree. You, you get the captains like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Matt Milano. Could they call the plays or do they want to stay consistent and say, the middle linebackers call him plays no matter what. And that could be another factor into Dorian Williams starting or not, where they say, you have to be able to call the plays. The middle linebacker always calls the plays in our defense. So until you're up to speed, you're not going to be able to, to play and start for us. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely probably a big piece of the whole middle linebacker discussion is the fact that usually – they're the play caller. And again, this could be, like you said, this could be one of the things where could determine whether Dorian Williams gets that job early in the season or not until next year is like, if he can, whether or not he can handle making the play calls on the field or whether or not he can or does easily pick up the playbook as it, as expected. But, again, obviously, like I said, I expect Tyrell Dodson to be the initial middle linebacker one. But whether or not Dorian Williams picks it up fast and supplants him in training camp, mid early regular season, or late in the year, or maybe they do situationally, who knows? Like It's just going to be one of those exciting position battles to watch. And the last thing I'll say before we bring Bryce on is a lot of people are saying, well, you took another third round linebacker this year because you spent a third round pick on Terrell Bernard last year. So technically shouldn't it be his job now? Isn't he the next one up in line where would it be a waste of a pick if he doesn't start? But I'm still wondering now that they're switching coordinators here with McDermott, could we start to see more of a four three where maybe they take Taron Johnson off the field put Bernard as that second outside linebacker and maybe they mix things up a little bit. And I saw someone was talking about Taylor Rapp. We could start seeing some dime. I mean, there are just a lot of different looks 
that this defense could give this year. And it's, it's getting me really excited. Yeah, it's definitely exciting considering the positional flexibility. And as to what you just said, I would say if they were going to take Teron Johnson off the field or mess with whatever the base nickel, I think they'd be more likely to run dime than anything else. Because you only you have Matt Milano as the only experienced linebacker that you trust there. And you have Taylor Rapp who can play sort of that sub linebacker slash big nickel safety role. I think you'd be more likely to sub into a dime than you would to go into a 4-3 base. All right, well, that's a good spot to cap it off here. We are about 37 minutes into the show, so a great start to the show. Got a lot of people watching tonight, so thank you. Appreciate you guys for that. If you haven't already, make sure to smash that like and subscribe button. Make sure to give Zach and I a follow. I'm going to take this banner off so you can see our ats. There they are. And my description is the host. Zach is something, 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 Josh Allen. Is is there a reason why you went with that tonight, Zach? (laughs) It's always a good conversation starter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, whether it's a podcast or talking to girls, a conversation starter is right. You got to love them. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So with that, we'll bring Bryce on. As he is yeah, what's up? O slash Bills. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting it in half. Okay, nice. <laughs> Bryce, how are you doing with your Miami Heat? I'm doing terrible. I've wanted to commit suicide for the past, what is it, month now? Oh, well, so, yeah, I'm doing I pretty well with all. it. I hope I hope you're okay. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, doing I mean, pretty the, the good nuggets. with the Heat. I haven't been able to watch a complete game, but the Nuggets are tough. We can't get anyone to stop Nikola Jokic. You know, Bam. Bam's no one can. No one in the league can. No, not at all. But you know, Aaron Gordon is the same height as our center. Bam had about a six nine. Their small forward six nine. So it's like, what are we gonna do to stop a seven foot two center? Wait, wait. Did you say Bam is only six nine? Yeah, he's the same height as Aaron Gordon. There's small. I thought forward. he was like six eleven. No. Oh, I guess he plays bigger. Well, yeah, that's that that's just, game. That's a tough task to guard Jokic. And what was that stat? He's the first player in Finals history to put up five hundred points, two hundred fifty rebounds, and a hundred assists. Yeah, pretty much something like that. Jeez. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's he's crazy. It looks like the the Nuggets are just going to steamroll. And we haven't talked about the Stanley Cup. Before we transition back into the Bills, I need to say this right now. I cannot stand to see Jack Eichel hoist the cup. Like, I won't be able to watch. I'm going to have to turn the TV off or something because, yeah, I know. It's in the past, whatever. We, I don't want to say we won the trade, but we made out pretty well with Tuck and Krebs and the draft picks. But after everything that happened and then what he said in his return here, that is going to eat me up if I see him skating around with a cup. Yeah, if there was one team I didn't want to see win the Stanley Cup this year, it's them and Jack Eichel. Like, I don't know how you can be a Buffalo fan and still like Eichel with everything he's done here. Ryan O'Reilly, too. Not not that they're in the same category, but 
these are guys who have said, oh, you know, we lost our love for the game of hockey in Buffalo. And then what do they do? They go turn around and win the Stanley Cup. Like, of course, that's our luck. It, why does it have to be like that? You know, like last year, they missed the playoffs. I was so happy because Eichel didn't get his way. And now he's getting his way. And I guess that means that the players are good. But you also have to have some luck. Because d don't forget, St. Louis, they were towards the bottom, maybe even the, the very bottom that year that they got O'Reilly. And then all of a sudden they surged up and, and they won. So, yeah, that takes a lot of skill, but I think you have to get some luck along the way, too. And it's like, why? You know, like, <laughs> of course, it just works against us, you know? Right. I mean, it's, I don't know, we're just snake snake bitten because, you know, we signed a former MVP a couple years ago, you know, expecting big things from him, and then he just shits the bed. Like, I don't know what more you can expect from the Buffalo team. All right, well, going back into football now. So, Bryce, what do you think about everything that Zach and I talked about? I'll, I'll just stop myself right there because we talked about a lot. I don't need to recap it, but I guess mainly just out of all the signings that Brandon Bean has made over the last few weeks, how are you feeling now compared to how you felt after the draft? I'm feeling a lot more confident than I was after the draft. I think Buffalo, you know, Brandon Bean felt a lot a lot of holes that he, you know, missed in draft. The signing Leonard Floyd, Brennan Shell, Puna Ford. Those were three main the three main positions that, you know, I walked away after a draft thinking, you know, we needed to get better there and they got better in the last three or four weeks. You know, giving giving us more depth for when Von Miller is out to start the season, I think is huge. He got somebody to, you know, line up alongside of Greg Rousseau, I think will really help the defense out tremendously. Um, you know, Brandon Shell, like you guys mentioned, gives Buffalo a lot more depth at the tackle position than they did coming out of the draft. Um, you know, and Puna Ford, how can you like that signing? He, he was everything Buffalo has needed for the last two years now. I want to talk about Brandon Shell for a second here, because Zach and I talked about the defensive line. I want to talk about the offensive line. And Brandon Shell, if you guys are unfamiliar, he played with the Jets for four years. In 2016, he played in eight games, started three of them. 2017, he started all 12 games. 2018, he started all 14 games. 2019, he started 11 games and played in 15. Then he went to Seattle for two years, started 11 games in 2020, 10 games in 21, and this past season with Miami, started 11 games in 13 appearances. So, we'll see, his age isn't on here, but I believe he's, what, like 30, 31 years old? Yeah, I would say approximately there somewhere. But how do you guys feel about this just from the Spencer Brown standpoint, specifically you, Bryce, since Zach and I talked about this for a little bit? Yeah, I think, you know, if Spencer Brown, you know, doesn't succeed like we all want him to this year, um, we can move, <clears throat> excuse me, move it, you know, away from him easier than what we could have last year with David Questenberry. I think, you know, you got a better veteran talent in Brandon Shell. You got someone, a better leader and a better mentor for the young tackles. 
especially Spencer Brown, you know, come training camp. Yeah, because I just wasn't comfortable with Questenberry backing up Spencer Brown because we saw what that could be last year where, you know, Questenberry, I think we all like him. He came back from cancer. He's a tough guy, culture guy, great dude, but he has his faults as well. And there are a lot of times where Josh was scrambling because of Questenberry unable to hold his block. So now you add Shell alongside with David Questenberry, and you still have Spencer Brown, obviously. I think that is very, I don't want to say very, but it's a lot more solidified than it was just a few weeks ago. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, signing Shell now makes it easier for Buffalo to move away from David Questenberry come uh, cut down day. Well, that'll be a conversation. I'm sure we're going to be having a lot of these over the summer. But do you guys think that Questenberry could get cut? He could. He's not a lock for sure. (laughs) I I mean, I think he could definitely get cut, but this kind of transitions into what I want to talk about in general here with the offensive line. And this was something that I was very hard on after the draft, that there was a log jam at guard and really just on the interior in general and not too many tackles on the outside, especially with the news of Tommy Doyle supposedly becoming a guard. You know, we'll see with minicamp and training camp if that actually becomes true. So I'm thinking on paper you'd want to keep Questenberry, but I don't know. I mean, I think he could definitely get cut. But I guess just in general, how do we feel about the offensive line and all the guards that they have and tying this in with the tackles? Yeah, I think a lot of the guards they either brought in through draft or free agency have some tackle versatility as well. So I think, you know, if you want to go out and cut uh, David Kleisenberry or move a Tommy Doyle over to the inside line, it makes it a lot easier to do one of those two things because, frankly, you're not strapped for depth at either of those positions anymore like you were last year. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, it's not. They're definitely in a better spot depth wise on the offensive line this year than they were last year. I think part of it's because they dealt with so many injuries on the offensive line last year. Yeah, for sure. So taking a look at their depth chart. So I'm looking at our lads here. Left tackle, Deion Dawkins. They still have Tommy Doyle as left tackle and then Ryan Vandemark, and then Richard Gurridge. Left guard, Connor McGovern, David Edwards, another guy coming over from L.A., and then Nick Broker, who they drafted in the seventh round. Center, Mitch Morrison, Greg Manns. Right guard, Ryan Bates, Osiris Torrance, Ike Butker, and Kevin Jarvis. Let's not forget they signed Jarvis, too. And that's not that big of a name, but another guy that they signed. And then at tackle. Brown, Questenberry, Shell, and then Alec Anderson. So there are a lot of guys right there. I can't count that fast. What is that? There's five at least, 5, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, like 17 offensive linemen. And I know they're going to put some on the practice squad, but a lot of these guys are going to end up getting cut. Yeah, and one thing I want to point out to you, I mentioned Kevin Jarvis. 
Buffalo loves to have these big interior offensive linemen and tackles. Well, Jarvis is 6'6". He's listed out right now. And moving to another point similar to that, Josh Allen loves Ike Butker, another big body guy like that. And those guys, Ike has been here for, is this his fifth or sixth year? He got here with Josh in 2018, right? Yeah, 2018. And then he was cut, went to the Chiefs, and then came back again in 2018. Uh, real quick, John asks if I said Dawkins. I did say Dawkins. Joey says there's 18 at this point. I might have been off by one, but either way, that there are a lot of offensive linemen. I could double count or double check. Um, but yeah, yeah just I counted the, 19, but it's somewhere around that number. 19? Okay, wait, five? Yeah. Then 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. I got 17 on mine. I don't know. I mean, maybe we're looking at different depth charts on here. Oh, and let's... I have eight. I have eight tackles right now. Uh, one, two, three, and eleven interior offensive linemen. So either way, I mean, there's a lot. Now let's tie this into the running back position here. And Bryce, I want to get your take on no death taxes and Taiwan Jones on special teams, at least for the moment. Um, how are you feeling about Latavius Murray? I see someone in here is. Uh, Mike's talking about Aaron Cromer saying that he has something to prove this year. So do we think that the Bills could get more physical now that they built up their offensive line and their running back room? I think you definitely have to get more physical. Even if you don't run the ball 20 million times a game, you still have to have that physicality in the run game because, you know, a couple years ago with the Patriots game, you saw, you know, that win game. You saw New England just pound pounded down our throats when we were still trying to pass the ball and that clearly didn't work so if just if that happens again where we get some freak storm you need to have some kind of run game and to, not to mention also josh can't be taking the hits near the goal line anymore as much as he has in years past so if you get someone like damian harris and latavius murray who can just pound the ball in end zone, I think that's huge for the offense. See, this this season, I know it sounds cliche, and I know you can say that it comes down to a lot of other factors, but I really think it comes down to the coaches. And that goes right in line with what Mike is saying. Not only does Aaron Cromer have something to prove, the whole coaching staff has something to prove because this is, I don't want to say a make or break year, but you know, going back to our Ken Dorsey conversations, Dorsey, he has something to prove this year. He needs to have a great year. McDermott has to put his players in the best position on the defensive side. Cromer with the offensive line. So there are just so many moving parts here. And I was talking to Quentin Morris about that today when we were talking about, you know, how stacked they are and how the, the tight end room is looking nice. And I said, you know, this just comes down to your coaches being able to put you guys in the best positions and figuring out how to use all this talent now. And he was like, yeah, and we just got to be able to finish in the playoffs. So, I mean, those two factors right there. Yeah, the players have to execute. They have to be able to finish in the playoffs. But it all starts with coaching. You got to put the players in positions to be able to make those plays and execute. And I think, too, I, I forget who mentioned it, if it was either Rico or uh, Zbot last week, but they mentioned how McDermott needs to have a – 
you know, really great season this year, or else he's he could be on hot seat also. Well, you know, every week I don't want to say I avoid this conversation, but with the show like tonight's where we have a little bit of time to get into this, I think I'll bring this up. And that's a point that I've been making off the air a lot. I talked about it with my friend the other night in the bar, just in general conversation. But now that we're here and we got a bunch of people in the chat, I really think that the Bills window is wide open for two years. Now, the window is always open with Josh as your quarterback. But when you're looking at it from the the perspective of Von Miller could be gone by then, Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde will probably be gone. Diggs will be getting older. He'll be into his 30s. Josh will be, I don't want to say out of his prime, but he won't be as mobile as he is right now. He just turned, what, 27 already? Yeah. Yeah. Deion Dawkins, I mean, he'll need a new contract. Mitch Morse could be gone by then. So there are just a lot of guys. Trey White will be getting older, Milano, and they'll still be relatively in their prime. But the point is, this window right now for two years – the, the Bills need to win a Super Bowl over the next couple of years because this is probably their best shot. We've been talking about it over the last few years, and I've been kind of looking ahead into, oh, Gabe Davis is the other one too. He could be gone. Ed Oliver, they built in that contract where he could opt out. They don't have any defensive tackles other than Ed signed past this season. So I think they're really going for it over these next couple of years here. I mean, Leonard Floyd signed on a one-year deal. Latavius Murray, one-year deal. Like, all these are one-year deals. And how do you guys feel about that? Do you think that the window is wide open for these next two years and then it starts to close a little bit more and more each year? And, of course, there are going to be different signings and acquisitions where the window is going to fluctuate a little bit and you're going to say, oh, wow, you know, Brandon Bean did a great job. The window's still open. But as of right now, I really see it where we need to win one in these next two years. And I think you can feel the sense of urgency from – uh, McDermott and Bean too, because the rest of the AFC is getting even more loaded and crowded with good, good teams acquiring really good players. You know, you got the Jets just dominating the off season. You got a bunch of other teams just having phenomenal off seasons too in the AFC. So I think both of them feel the urgency to you know go all out for one in the next two years, like you said. Zach, what do you think? I mean, it it is easy to say that the next year or two is probably the best opportunity that we can see because we know what this roster looks like right now. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of question marks beyond 2024 in terms of who are going to be the core pieces besides Josh Allen. Will Stephon Diggs still be here? Will Vaughn Miller still be here? Will we? Who knows? I mean, only time will tell how the roster will look two years down the line. Greg Rousseau is going to be another one, you know? Yeah, Greg Rousseau. He's entering uh, year three right now. So they're going to have to make his fifth-year option decision next offseason. And, yeah, he'll be he'll probably be looking for a new deal. We'll see how – Just switch agents too. Yeah, like, like I said, the reason that it's – and I agree with you. The next year or two is probably the best opportunity we know of right now because it's the best opportunity we know of right now. We know what the roster looks like right now. We have no clue what's going to happen two years down the line. 
well, we could live in a different in a different world. The AFC could look very much different two years down the line from now. So obviously every year, as cliched as it is to say, every year is the best opportunity. And I love how Steve phrased this here. Steve Lynn says, the playoff window is open as Josh is a quarterback, but the Super Bowl window closes when Josh turns 30. Look up the age of quarterbacks who win the Super Bowl and take away Brady and see what you find. I think that's a great way of putting it because for as much as we say, is the window open or is it closed? Well, getting more specific, I think you can say when you have Josh Allen as your quarterback, the playoff window is always open. But right now the Super Bowl window is open because of the talent that Bean has surrounded him with and because of the ages and just like the different levels of experience. So right now the Super Bowl window is open. But take away some of those players that I was talking about and highlighting you're back down to that playoff window being open. So that's just like the the different ways of looking at it. But I really like how he said that because I feel like we get vague and I don't mean we like really me. Like when, when I say this, it's kind of vague. Oh, is a window open or is it not? But when you say it like that, yeah, when you have Josh Allen, the playoff window is always open. But now it's up to the pieces around him to make this a Super Bowl window that is open. Do you guys agree? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I think your Super Bowl window would still be open, you know, once Josh hits his 30s and beyond, but it won't be as prominent as it is uh, right now. Because exactly. even someone even mentioned it in comments, Stafford was in his 30s, Manning won a Super Bowl in his 30s. So, you know, it's not like, quarterbacks completely fall off once he had 30 years old yeah and zach what do you think i mean i think that obviously it is better for teams to try to win a super bowl as soon as possible if they're in a contention window but again as long as you have that star quarterback your window is always open and that's why I'm hesitant to say that, like, when Josh turns 30, he'll automatically be, it'll automatically mean that the Bills are never going to win a Super Bowl because that's not the case. Every season, you just go into it looking to get into the playoffs, build a quality roster, get into the playoffs, and hope you get lucky. That's really what it comes down to. You just got to get in position to make a run and then hope everything goes your way. All right, Bryce, correct me if I'm wrong. We've had a lot of different conversations tonight as we're almost an hour into the show, but did we talk specifically like me, you and Zach, since you came on about Leonard Floyd, Puna Ford, and just the defensive line in general, I know we talked about the offense for a little bit, but is there, is there anything else that you want to add about maybe just the front seven going back to our linebacker conversation as well? I think we pretty much hit, you know, most of it, but I will say I do like how uh, Buffalo's constructed the defensive end position since, uh, you know, since the draft. They picked up Leonard Floyd, picked up Shane Ray. I know. Yeah, Shane Ray's another one. I, I haven't even mentioned him. He was, he's been out of football for 
last, you know, NFL football since 2018. But, you know, he's still fairly young. He can still produce a little bit. So he might be, you know, a practice squad player. You know, then they still have Shaq Lawson, um, Greg Rousseau, and Von Miller, like we've mentioned before. So I do really love what Buffalo's done at the pass rush position. Mid-linebackers, super deep right now, too. You know, A.J. Klein, Dotson, uh, Williams, and uh, Bernard. So I think they're pretty much set there. I, you know, one, one thing that we haven't really talked in depth too much about is what they're going to do with all their defensive ends. And I think that's how we'll end it before we get into Josh Allen being on the Madden, Madden cover and then the new stadium as well. So what do you guys think about the possibility of flipping Epinesa or Basham for a fifth or a sixth round pick sometime this summer? Because that's something that Brandon Bean has done a lot. I can't really think of any specifics off the top of my head, but I remember I tweeted this before where he makes a lot of deals towards the end of August when you're getting down to the the 53-man roster and you don't want to just cut a guy like A.J. Epinesa and you say, okay, well, let's try to get something for him. How about we send him to Arizona for a fifth-round pick? I mean, they did that with Cody Ford. Was that over the summer? Yeah. Or, no, that was during the season. That but, was end of preseason. Yeah, it was. I thought. Yeah, it was. The Cody Ford trade was in the preseason? Yeah, it was basically around cutdowns. Oh, okay. I, I think I was thinking of uh, the Naeem Hines deal. I would yeah, have to go back and look, but I mean, either way, Brandon Bean does that a lot where he'll say, all right, how about we try to get something back for this guy? So could AJ Epinesa, if he doesn't show up in mini camp this week and then training camp throughout the summer, I mean, his job is definitely on the line, right? I think it could definitely be, but you know, with him having a six and a half sack season last year, it might be easier to get some trade value out of him rather than Boogie Basham, who hasn't done anything in his uh, two years going on three playing professional football. And Basham is a year younger, so you might want to say, well, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt for one more year, but we've seen Epinesa for three years now compared to two with Basham. So I'm thinking if anyone is going to get moved, I would look for Epinesa first and then Basham. I would say that only happens if somebody like Shane Ray like steps up and they're just wildly impressed with him because if he can reclaim what his early Broncos tenure form or at least show some flashes of that, I think he could overtake Basham or Epinesa for a depth spot. But I don't think you're going to trade Basham or Epinesa just for the sake of trading them if you had no intentions of keeping someone else over them on the roster. I'm going to throw a couple other names out there too because I'll be honest, I forgot about these guys. Cameron Klein, they signed him off waivers from the Colts and Kingsley Jonathan, who I believe it was against Chicago last year. He really impressed me. Yeah, I would have to say Jonathan is the best out of two you mentioned. Klein didn't really produce too much during the season. I think he only got in one game, you know, but Jonathan's probably the better one out of those two. Yeah, Kingsley Jonathan, 
He's an interesting prospect, obviously. He he did do some good things against Chicago, but also he was just like a practice squad call-up because they had some injury issues. I don't think he'll necessarily make the 53. He has a very good chance of making the practice squad again unless somebody, like, poaches him or whatever. Because that's what Chicago did in the preseason last year. But Cameron Klein... Again, I don't know much about him, so I can't, like, make any determinations on him. But I thought I saw in the Bills' website he's, like, 280-some pounds. So he might be defensive tackle slash defensive end. I'm not exactly sure. Yeah, I think he's listed at D-tackle right now. Yeah, and I think he actually had showed some flashes for Indy against the Bills in the preseason last year. But, again, he's just, like, a depth body at this point. So I don't necessarily think either of them would overtake Basham or Epinesa for a 53 spot. So looking at the depth chart for defensive ends. So you have Von Miller and Greg Rousseau, one and two. Leonard Floyd, Shaq Lawson, AJ Epinesa, Boogie Basham. So there's six right there. Kingsley Jonathan, seven. Cameron Klein, eight. Shane Ray, nine. So, I mean, this is a position where... What do they normally keep? Four? Five at most? Am I just buffering right now? What's up? I think Bryce said he's buffering. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know oh. if it was me or if you were just your Wi Fi just shit the bed again. <laughs> I think I'm good. But um, yeah, so nine defensive ends that the Bills have now. And that's probably a position where they keep what, like four or five at most. So we're going to have to see some tough cuts and and maybe some trades. Yeah, I would have to agree there. I mean, you know, like we mentioned before, Boogie Basham is probably the one to go, maybe Epinesa. But, you know, he showed last year that he can really produce. So now without Vaughn, do you really want to lose a guy like Epinesa this year? And someone like Shaq Lawson, too. I mean... His spot isn't secured either. I'd say most of the defensive end room isn't secured. Yeah, theoretically. I know, Von Miller. I don't know. Yeah, theoretically, like, the only three guys that are locks are Von Miller, Greg Rousseau, and Leonard Floyd. However, I would say Shaq Lawson's probably a safe bet to make it because, you know, he's done his best work in this defense. He's a reliable, serviceable depth, rotational defensive end for McDermott. And, I again, it may end up coming down to Basham or Epinesa. But, again, it also may depend on whether or not Von Miller actually isn't put on the pup list during camp or the preseason. Because if he isn't, then you got to make a decision between Epinesa and Basham. If he does go on the pup list to start the year, misses the four week, first four weeks, then you can keep both of them. Or either or and Shane Ray if he emerges or whatever. But at this point, I feel like we have a good semblance of what the room's going to look like. It's just a matter of how it shakes out. Now, I do want to mention one more point before uh, Kevin switches topics here. You know, 
we've talked about McDermott a lot wanting to be more aggressive and his Carolina defenses have been, you know, have taken a more aggressive approach to games. So I wonder if that leaves Shaq Lawson as odd man out here because I've always seen him as a run stuffer guy, not, you know, rushing pass, rushing quarterback 20 times a game, getting, you know, nine and a half or 10 sacks a year. Yeah, that's a good point too. Zach, what, what do you think about that? Can you repeat that again, Bryce? Yeah, I was just saying, I I know in years past and, you know, more recently we've talked about Brennan, excuse me, Sean McDermott having a more aggressive approach to his defenses, you know, in Carolina and, you know, a little bit in Buffalo. So I wonder if that leaves Shaq Lawson as an odd man out here since he's always been seen as more of a run-stuffing defensive end instead of a pass rusher. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily mean he'll think he'll be the odd man out. Like I said, most likely, I'm, I'm viewing this more as Vaughn Miller will likely end up on the pop list to start the year, so they keep five total defensive ends, including Vaughn Miller, and you keep Shaq Lawson as one of those five. And again, he's done his best work with McDermott. McDermott's very familiar with him, and there. There's no harm in keeping a predominantly run-stuffing defensive end on your roster, especially if you're going to have pass rushers everywhere else. This is going to be fun because as we get into more talks over the summer, it's going to be really hard to narrow this down to 53. And that's the beauty of this team. You know, going back to that window conversation, we need to enjoy this because – During the drought years, we were trying to figure out how we could get to 53. Now we're trying to figure out how to shave it down because you could make a pretty solid roster based on the guys that the Bills are going to be cutting. Like teams are going to be looking at who the Bills cut this summer in order to build their team. Where the Bills say, well, we don't really have room for you. Sorry. We're going to have to release you or cut you or trade you elsewhere. And there are other teams, let's just say the Houston Texans, are saying, hey, what's Buffalo got? Because let's check that market because Epinesa could be available. Or we could get a cornerback or a wide receiver. You know, it's just such a deep team and roster where, again, we just need to enjoy it. But at the same time, we got to win one. So, okay, switching topics here. We had the news that Josh Allen – is going to be on the Madden cover in Madden 24. And, you know, going back to that conversation about the window and everything, he is at the head of it. And now not only are Buffalo fans seeing it, the football world is seeing it as finally Buffalo gets some recognition in that regard. So what were your initial reactions? Zach, I'll start with you when you saw and actually, as Buffalo Fanatics, we were some of the first people to report it, and then it became official a couple of days later on. But regardless, what did you think of when you saw that news? First off, it was a great scoop by BF on there. Obviously, not <laughs> patting myself on the back, even though I wasn't the one who tweeted it. But, I mean, it was, it was awesome to see that, especially because we – 
Has there ever been a player on this on a Bills team that we ever thought could sniff the cover of Madden? Like not in my lifetime. Exactly, not in mine either. I mean, I would I would say maybe the best would have been maybe in the nineties during that during that era. Like it when Thurman Thomas has MVP season, if they had cover athletes, maybe he would have been the first. But definitely there was nobody during the drought that was going to make the cover. Not even Brian Mormon, who for the longest time was the Bills' highest-rated player on Madden. And again, that's nothing against Brian Mormon. He was a great punter. and was an awesome player. And he definitely deserved those high ratings. But, but still, it's a punter. Exactly. It's still a punter. So the fact that now we got a quarterback – that is being nat- that has been nationally recognized. That is a rising star, one of the preeminent athletes in the game, and is now also being recognized by being put on man and cover. That's just amazing to see. Like it shows how far this team has come. Bryce, what do you think? Yeah, I mean i I didn't think I would see one. In my lifetime, you know, I was born in 02. My, I grew up watching Manuel, Trent Edwards, Lossman, Kyle Orton, even, you know, so I didn't think I would see someone, you know, great enough to grace a cover med. And so it was just a great experience to, you know, actually see it come true. You know, I really stopped paying attention because. I'm going to date myself here. The last gaming system that I have is the Xbox 360 and it still works. It's all reliable, but I haven't played in, I can't tell you the last time I played. I mean, when my friends come over, we'll play, play Madden or Chell or 2k or something like that, you know, but I can't, I I seriously can't remember the last time I played. I think, yeah, I should get the cover because it's Gronk on there. Madden. I, the last one that I bought, for the Xbox 360, the last one that they made was Madden 17 with Gronk on the cover. So after that, I stopped really paying attention. Like, of course, I, I see the covers and, you know, I'll play when I go to other people's houses or whatever. But in terms of me getting it down here and, and putting it on my TV, I feel like it kind of lost the stock when I grew up. But still, this is awesome. And I, I mean, I love that. Josh Allen is on the Madden cover. I mean, that's just great because, you know, here's another aspect of it. Speaking of our childhoods and and growing up, how many years did the Bills market a running back? The first memory that I have of Madden, I was playing on my computer. I think it was Madden 04 or 05. And Travis Henry, I didn't even know who he was, but I was like, hey, this Henry guy is pretty good. And he just did great like he, he was the best player and maybe that was because i didn't know the controls that much or, or the game of football but i tore it up with travis henry and then you get willis mcgahee and marshawn lynch and cj spiller fred jackson Lashawn mccoy and it was just for years that the bills marketed their running backs and this is a quarterback driven league and they finally get the quarterback of the future and the ultimate cherry on top now he gets to grace the cover of madden that's awesome. Yeah, it was just a surreal, you know, 
experience to see that news actually break last week. And I was thinking because I can't remember who it was, whether it was on Twitter or in conversation. I don't think anyone said it tonight. Maybe I, I'm not sure, but and I think it was just in conversation in person, but people were like, well, what has Josh Allen really done to be on the cover? Maybe it was on a radio show. I, I really can't remember where I heard it, but Probably they're true. like, well, you know, he hasn't won the Super Bowl. He hasn't been in the MVP. Why is he on the cover? And I was like, you know, valid question. But I thought about it. I was like, I, I think it's because to the casual football fan, to just some random kid picking up Madden, who do you want to be? You want to play like Josh Allen because when I used to play Madden consistently, the Patriots were always really good and I would never play as them because I hated the Patriots and Tom Brady could not move fourth beans. So the last quarterback that I had on Madden 17 was Tyrod. And I love playing as Tyrod because I could slip out of the pocket like nothing. So I think just to the casual football fan, of course, Bills fans are going to want to play as Josh, but even just, uh, you know, John Smith out in Alaska, picks up Madden. Who am I going to play as? I'm going to play as Josh Allen because I want to throw 80 yards. I want to run 80 yards. I want to truck linebackers. I want to hurdle cornerbacks. He's just like the ultimate dream. He's like literally one of those players. You create your own player just to do everything, but that's him in real life. And I feel like Josh is one of the only football players and one of the only quarterbacks who really plays the real thing. Like it's a video game. Yeah, and to your point, too, he's just a super easy player for uh, the NFL to market. You know, he's loved by everybody, never done anything wrong. Great, great athlete. Everyone loves watching him in the playoffs, so why not put him as a, you know, Madden 24 cover? Zach, share some more thoughts because I, I really want to find my Madden covers now. They're, like, right behind me, so... Just uh, share some more thoughts about your Madden experiences and, and just Josh and the Bills in general. Well, <laughs> I think you kind of expressed it perfectly when you said that in earlier Maddens that, you know, you would always play as the Bills, but it would always be a little tougher because you didn't have quality quarterback play. You had to deal with J.P. Lossman's nonsense, like Ryan Fitzpatrick at the time. You know, wasn't the best in Madden, but he was definitely better than Trent Edwards. I mean, Tyrod Taylor was probably the best quarterback the Bills had in a, a while at that point. Since Drew he Bledsoe. broke the drought. <laughs> yep, he broke the drought. <laughs> broke the drought, and then they uh, moved on from him and paved the way for Josh Allen. Which and Deontay Thompson. Deontay Thompson <laughs> broke the drought. Oh, my God. Deontay Thompson. <laughs> well, I remember anyways. thinking he was a great receiver. I mean, he was in the snow. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for a drought error, I guess he was decent. The Joe Webb game. No. <laughs> Joe Webb ended the drought. Oh, my God. Okay, was so Joe Webb was the game? last. The last Madden that I have, Gronk on the cover, Madden 17. And then they just stopped making them for the Xbox 360. I mean, look at I got NBA 2K13. How about this for a game? Blake Griffin, KD, and D-Rose. 
I love that game. That was what I grew up on. The soundtrack was amazing on this game. It was. That was probably my best, uh, my career player I've ever created on that uh, 2K13. What video games did you guys play growing up? Like, we all played Madden, right? Yeah, that was my I played a lot of sports games, you know, uh, NBA, NHL, MLB, and of course Madden. I you never know, got Minecraft, into but... I know, I never got into Minecraft, Call of Duty, like anything. I was just like straight up sports. Like I, I have so many memories going through these things now. Like I, I have FIFA in here, I have NHL. How about this one for Madden? Madden twenty five? Oh. oh, that was fantastic. With Barry Sanders? <laughs> Don't forget Leon Sandcastle in the draft class. <laughs> Wait, what was that? That was, remember when uh, the NFL did like their commercials? I think it was during the combine or something. And they had Deion Sanders just like dress up in like a costume and like go out and do the combine drills. And then he like had a fake name. It was like Leon Sandcastle. I don't remember just, that, no. I just remember in Man 25 when you did your draft class, you would just come across some of these randomly come across NFL legends in the draft class, but with different names. Right? After the show, yeah, after the show, Kevin, you got to go search Leon Sandcastle on YouTube. That was fantastic. (laughs) So while I was having this conversation with with, uh, my friend the other night, we, we were talking, is the curse over? Because the curse was real, but I was looking into the the guys who were on the covers, and I feel like Mahomes broke it a few years ago. And then you had Brady on there, Lamar's been on there. I'm gonna pull up the list so I can be specific and exact here. But are you guys worried that there could be a curse here with Josh Allen on the cover, or are you one of those people that says, "Well, Buffalo's already cursed, so reverse psychology. Maybe we're gonna win the Super Bowl now." <laughs> I think I'm with you here. You know, Mahomes broke it a few years ago when he came back from his, you know, broken kneecap and won the Super Bowl. I think that's the year that, you know, the curse was lifted. Yeah, I'm I'm with Bryce. I think that Mahomes kind of busted that whole thing. And now we're just uh, going with it. But obviously, <laughs> there <laughs> there is something to say about Buffalo being a cursed franchise and that a if there is a Madden curse could it be reversed I don't know it, that just seems a little too much nonsense but well okay so going back starting with this past season so we had Madden on the cover last year the year before that was Brady and Mahomes for Madden 22 and no that okay well that was a year after they met in the Super Bowl when Brady won. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, the curse would have to ensue with that next year's performance. And maybe it got to Brady a little bit. Mahomes was still solid. But either way, I mean, I don't think those guys were necessarily cursed. Uh, the year before that, Lamar, I believe he played 12 games in 2021. He was still decent, didn't have his MVP numbers. But I don't think the curse really got to him. Mahomes in 20, won the Super Bowl. And then after that, it was Antonio Brown, Madden 19. That was the (laughs) ultimate curse. That might have been such a big curse that he just broke the system. 
So was that like the ultimate, like, okay, now the Madden curse is kind of over here. Antonio Brown is just in his own class over here. Now we can get back to actually putting guys on the cover and not having to worry about the curse. Yeah, I, I don't. I think Antonio Brown went too far off the rails where he took the whole curse with him and Madden's safe now. I was gonna say, did did he take the curse with him? <laughs> I think so. He took it to the indoor football league, arena football league, whatever he's in now. Eh, they can keep it. <laughs> Who were some of the other bad ones? I'm looking on here now. Oh, Peyton Hillis and Madden 12. That was probably yeah, that was the worst one. Jeez, that, that was the flash in a pan Peyton Hillis year. That was, that was like literally the, worst the only one. reason he got the cover was he had a career year. And everyone just bit on the storyline. And then he just disappeared. He was gone. Yep. Yeah. It's like he was a fullback or something. <laughs> yeah, he was a running back for that one year so he could get on the Madden cover, and then he just reverted to his old form. <laughs> All right, so any final thoughts on Josh being on the cover? Chat, if you guys have anything else to say about, you know, maybe some of your experiences with Madden or Josh being on the cover, let us know over the next couple of minutes here because we're going to switch over and talk about the new stadium to wrap up the show tonight. I'll give you guys a minute or two to, you know, put some comments in here. But, um, yeah, do you guys have anything else to say? I do want to say one last thing. Going back to my point about the running backs, that was just such an interesting time in Bill's franchise history where it was just constant running back, running back, running back. And I loved all those guys. But it just feels so good to finally have a quarterback now where – you know, you don't have to market LaShawn McCoy or Fred Jackson. And, you know, Fred was marketable because he's Fred Jackson. But this is not this day and age where you can market a running back. Like, remember, like, season ticket holders and, like, when you would get the schedule, like, C.J. Spiller would be on there. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but C.J. Spiller isn't the face of the franchise, you know? Right. Yeah, that, that's the main thing is that the Bills were so bad because, not saying because their face of the franchise was a running back, but it was because it's they because didn't have the talent. <laughs> yeah. Wait, what did you say? I said it was because it, it was C.J. Spiller was the face of the franchise. And Isaiah McKenzie wasn't here yet, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the... The whole thing is now the fact that your best player is a quarterback in a league that is quarterback-driven. It Like, you know, I've seen time and time again, like on social media, people ask, it's like, which Bills player, which past Bills player would you bring back onto this year's roster and, like, stuff like that. But it's like, it does make you think, though. It's like if the Bills, because the Bills are sort of in an opposite position now where they have the elite quarterback and then they have decent or you know maybe decent to above average running back play whereas in the drought they had elite running backs but then not even close to decent quarterback play (laughs) what if you could bring in a freddie jack have bring back freddie jackson in his prime and cj spiller you know before 
his injuries and whatnot. If you had them with Josh Allen, stuff like that. Thurman Thomas in his prime, yada, yada, yada. But it's just it's interesting to think about. It's also interesting to think about the, the quarterback carousel that we grew up with. I mean, my first Bills memory was Kelly Holcomb and then J.P. Lossman and Trent Edwards. And how about Gabron Hamden, Brian Brom? You know, all these guys. Thad Lewis, the Thad Lewis Bengals game. How about Jeff that? Tooley. Jeff Tooley, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, E.J. Manuel and Kyla Orton and then Tyrod. Orton and- should have taken us to the playoffs. Matt Liner, Kevin Cobb. <laughs> oh, God. Did, who was it that fell and slipped on the uh, shower mat? Was it Kevin Cobb? That was Kevin Cobb. Got a concussion yeah. at training camp because of it? Well, I think he hurt his knee slipping on the mat and then suffered a concussion in the preseason. That, I know I know Tyler Dunn. I know Tyler Dunn did an interview, like a two part interview with Kevin Cobb, talking about how his career went. You know, the Must been boring as downhill of his career. Like the concussions and all that. And apparently the plan was Going into EJ's rookie year was to have Kevin Cobb as a starter, let EJ learn and sit. But then he suffered his, I think it was his third concussion. And he had said prior to coming to Buffalo, next concussion he suffers was going to be it. He'd retire. So, and yeah, suffered a concussion. EJ was thrown into the wolves and then he got picked off by JJ Watt and benched for Kyle Lorton. And then Kyle Lorton left the locker room to go find his wallet and never came back. <laughs> Let's not forget about this guy. Speaking of finding things that I have in the man cave here, do you know who this is? Is that Vince Young? I can't see it. No. Does anyone know whose autograph that is? It's a quarterback. It's a drought quarterback. Fitzy? Nope. Anyone in the chat know? Number 16, if you can't read that. Anything? Awkward silence, should I just say it? <laughs> Not Matt Castle. Yeah, I can't. Matt Castle. <laughs> really? The one Matt Castle. <laughs> he came to one of our car dealerships years ago, well, whenever he was with the Bills and signed a couple of footballs. So he was another drought quarterback. The one snap wonder. Yeah. So, all right. Hour and a half into the show. We've had some nice conversations going on tonight. Uh, We want to wrap things up by talking about the new stadium, talking about nostalgia and our childhood. It is no longer going to be. Well, I heard Sal Capaccio talking about this the other day. It's no longer going to be at one Bills drive, but technically, can you still call it one Bills drive or does it have to become two Bills drive because it's moving across the street? But either way. One and a half those drive. Yeah, no more Rich Stadium, Ralph Wilson Stadium, New Era Field, whatever. Highmark Stadium is moving across the street and is still going to be called Highmark Stadium, but it is set to open in 2026. And the shovels are in, the bulldozers are moving the dirt, excavators, everything. So here we go. Yep, it's officially official. I'm excited for it. I love these renderings that, uh, you know, the most recent ones that came out. I think, you know, once it gets built, 
there's going to be a lot of fans that want to go there, even from, you know, different teams. Like we see in LA and uh, Vegas. I mean, yeah, that's a good point. That, that could become a tourist attraction because you get a lot of people that say, I just wanted to come to Buffalo and experience the fans and the tailgate and the tables and the fires and, you know, the wings and the beer and going out on Chippewa the night before or Elmwood, any, anywhere, Josh Allentown. There were a lot of people where I met last year at tailgates where it's like, oh, where are you from? Like, oh, we came in from Green Bay just because, you know, we figured we'd make the drive and we wanted to experience Bill's Mafia. Oh, cool. Now you add a state-of-the-art facility? You're right. That could be a tourist attraction. Yeah, Even if it does see less fans. Yeah. What were we saying, Zach? Said that assumes that, you know, the new stadium doesn't price people out. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to get into that too much because we don't know the prices. But, yeah, I'm hoping that it's not going to be just ungodly where, you know, a couple of years ago, it gets down to five degrees, zero degrees, and StubHub and Ticketmaster are trying to give away tickets. Where it's like, $6, come get your tickets for $6. But now that could turn into like $600. Like, oh, yeah, it's zero degrees, but you still owe me $600 because we have a $1.5 billion stadium going up. I mean, let's put it this way. I would say I don't really think much will change other than obviously the stadium, the new stadium coming in. I mean, sure, prices will go up, but that's also because the team's really good. So obviously – Prices are going to get more expensive the better, the longer that the team is good. But there, but compared to some other teams, like there's a reason that so many New England fans buy tickets to the Buffalo games, and it's because it's cheaper than going to Gillette. Obviously, their team sucks now, and if they suck for a couple more years, it might get a little cheaper for them to stay in Massachusetts. But yeah, so how do you guys feel about? the nostalgia behind this stadium like are, are you sad to see it go or are you kind of like no i don't want to get like i do want the new stadium but i hate to see this one go or are you just like you know what get me to 2026 hopefully we get a super bowl in there first but get me to the new stadium because i will say right now i was very like i'm i'm old-fashioned to the point where it's like no nah, this stadium's fine i grew up here this is my childhood you can't touch it but after going to the playoff game two years ago against the Patriots, where like literally I was saved by hand warmers and feet warmers because, you know, negative degrees, my beer froze over to the point where I was like trying to dump it out and nothing came out because it froze. I was like, okay, we need a new stadium. Like this is, this is bad. And it's still going to be outdoors, but you, you have the model where it's like the Tottenham Hotspur stadium in London. You have the overhang and I've heard about 60% of this, the seat should be covered and I'm not sure I heard this a while ago. I need to look into it more, but I heard that it should be climate controlled, right? Where they could pump some heat in or maybe air conditioning in the tops. Thanks to those new overhangs and roofs. Either way, it, it, it sounds like it should be more comforting where if you're getting, you know, seats up in row 35 of the upper deck, you don't have to worry about literally freezing to death up there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, obviously I the new, you get the new stadium, there's going to be a lot to look forward to. It'll just be like, you know, it'll be 
the Bills in their new stadium, hopefully still contending for the Super Bowl every year, contending in the playoffs. And But at the same time, I'm not going to like just go leap ahead, try to fast forward three years. I'm going to try to cherish whatever time we have left with the current Bills stadium because it was – it, it it is by all accounts. It was a good stadium, and there are definitely it's still a good stadium. It's, it's still a good stadium, and many people have had a lot of experiences there. I know that's where I went. Obviously, that's where I went to my first Bills game last year, the Miami game. That was my first postseason game in Buffalo, so I was glad I was able to get out to the stadium for that. Obviously, again, like you mentioned, the fan experience, the tailgating, Bills Mafia. It's all incredible. I hope not much of that changes with the new stadium. Yeah, they're saying for this season, the 2023 season, the only part of the parking lot that should be impacted is the RV lot because that's where they're building the new one. So, I mean, that doesn't affect me, but I'm wondering how that's going to affect others specifically for traffic because that could trickle down and affect someone like me who I don't have an RV, but I have a vehicle that needs to get to and from the game and that could be backed up in traffic. Yep. That's that seems to be a common theme just in terms of when you build do construction. I'll I'm gonna allude to uh St. John Fisher College. That's my alma mater. You know, the Bills do their training camp there. There was a point where they were building a new dorm. So what did they do? They took out a parking lot to build a new dorm. Make that make sense. Because, <laughs> like, Fisher, when I was there as a commuter, it was, I'm going to use the word fun, but in a sarcastic sense, trying to find some parking sometimes. So, of course, taking out parking spots to build a new dorm was just sounded very weird. But at the same time, obviously, if people are going to fill the dorms or if you're going to fill the stadium, then whatever, you're going to have to find a place to put it. And I understand that, obviously, in the short term, it's going to make parking even a bit more of a headache getting to the stadium. But once they finish, I guess the big question is, are they going to – would they demolish the old field and put turn that into parking? Which seems like that would, might be the most sensible option because you take away parking to build a new stadium and then you replace it with – where the old one was, but yeah, I mean, I think you only, we'll see. I think you have to do that because where else would people park? And it's going to be really interesting to see how they navigate this. Not necessarily for the 23 season, but 24 and 25, really that 25 season when the new stadium will pretty much be up and then they're putting the finishing touches on it. But what's traffic going to look like then and, and, and parking and that whole situation, just turning it over from, one side of the street to the other. That's definitely going to be interesting, but I, I know they'll figure it out. They, I'm sure they have plans in place already, but yeah, I mean, where are we going to park in 25? I mean, we're, we're going to have to start knocking on more doors and people are going to have to open up their driveways more. So that'll definitely be interesting. Yep. I'm sure some of the locals who already make some good money for bills, fan parking, <laughs> They're probably going to make a little more money in the next couple of years. <laughs> probably licking their lips, just thinking about it right now. 
Maybe time to buy some land over in Orchard Park. <laughs> right? Well, actually, yeah. Isn't – there are some grassy fields, like, off to the side at ECC. I wonder if maybe, like, the Bills could purchase some land and turn that into a parking lot because that would be closer to the new stadium. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get into too much of the details when we don't really know them, but I would think that they're going to be tearing the old one down – event well i mean you can't tear it down until the end of the season so let's say 25 ends they would tear it down in hopefully february which means you know the bill season is still going and then what you you have the summer to get it going but then you have preseason that's going to be tough i wonder if they just wait till next year to tear down the stadium they might like, obviously, this isn't going to be a quick thing. Like, it's going to be a gradual process, obviously, constructing the old, new one, figuring out what to do with the old one, demolishing, whatever. Or we can have an XFL team in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. With what parking? No. <laughs> hey, it would be springtime, so it's not like there's going to be a lot of fans going. It makes a lot of sense. So, as a Yankees fan, and Zach's a Yankees fan. Bryce, are you? Yeah, I'm a huge Yankees fan. Okay, yeah. So, as Yankees fans, we grew up with the house that Ruth built, and then they tore that one down, and this one really doesn't have a name. Maybe the house that Jeter or Judge built. Is this going to be the house that Josh built? I would say so. Yeah, that's probably going to be the informal name <laughs> should we coin it should we trademark it right now on this show the new stadium <laughs> is going to be called the house that josh built someone call bobby right now yeah <laughs> get a graphic made yeah yeah all right well before we sign off you guys have any uh, final thoughts on the new stadium anyone else in in the comments here have anything to say i mean Maybe for some people who are older than us, if you have any memories that you want to put out there right now before we sign off for the night. I saw some some guys were talking about uh, it could be heated grass. Again, I don't know all the details, but I think that's right because aren't they all trying to move away from turf? Yeah. Yeah. The the move is to go to grass. So. And it's it would a fantastic idea too. Yeah. yeah. For player safety reasons. Trayvon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard says Josh Allen Stadium. That's a good name. <laughs> yeah. I think I think we're good there. <laughs> Forget Highmark. Make yeah. it Josh Allen Field. Josh Allen Stadium. Mm-hmm. Mike says, let's leave the old stadium and get a second team like New York City or LA. It's exactly what I'm saying. Just XFL instead of NFL. <laughs> hey, how about this? How about we bring back the Braves? Speaking of another team for Buffalo, because we're not going to get a second football team, but how about we get an NBA team back, huh? Outdoors? <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm talking back at, at the Sabres Arena now, but <laughs> I saw some rumblings. They're like, if we were to expand here, MLB too, they might be expanding teams. NBA, MLB, can you imagine if Buffalo gets either of those? I don't think it's going to happen, but that'd be pretty cool. Is Bryce cutting out now? Yeah, there he is. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. I don't know. It might be tough to have another winter uh, sports team here like you would have with NBA, but I think it it'll draw some interest. I mean, they used to do it. So, you know how Buffalo is, though. If you give them a sports yeah, but we already have a football and hockey. What'd you say? No, I was just saying we already have football and hockey to get us through winter. I can't see too many people going to a MLB game or, excuse me, NBA game also. I th- I think people would definitely love that. I mean, the Braves used to be pretty I mean, good. I would definitely go. Yeah. Bob McAdoo back in the day. You know, I will yeah. say before we sign off for the night, the Bandits are having their celebration Thursday night at the arena. I believe it's going to be in Alumni Plaza at 5 o'clock. And then there is, I don't know if I should call it a parade or a march, but everyone's going from the Key Bank Center up to Salem Field because they are having lacrosse night. They're celebrating the Bandits at the game. So it's going to be like one big one Buffalo celebration between the Bandits and the Bisons. So if you guys want to go to that, that should be pretty interesting. I'm thinking about going to that. Luke Bryan, there's a concert at Daring Lake Friday night, so a lot going on. Is he at Daring Lake Friday? Yeah. Luke Bryan is coming to Daring Lake. You country fan? No, I'm not, but I just love Daring Lake, so any reason give me that. (laughs) Mike says, great podcast tonight, guys. Touched on all the current Bills topics. Appreciate that, Mike. Appreciate all of you guys for tuning in tonight. Again, uh, if you haven't already, make sure to smash the like and subscribe button. Give us all a follow. Let me get rid of this comment here so you can see our ats again. So we got me, Kevin Syracuse, Zach Vaughn to my right, Bryce Martino to the bottom. And once again, this is the BF Writers Club on Buffalo Fanatics. Zach, what do we have coming up on tap this week? So I know Bryce is going to work on a couple pieces this week. One of them, one of them touching on his uh, second installment of his Forgotten Buffalo Bills series. Last week he did Cardell Jones. I know the glorious tenure of Cardell Jones. And <laughs> one came tenure. We'll see. we'll see we'll see where he goes next um and i believe this week he's also going to touch more on the defensive end room yes, so sir. check it check that Don't out. Miss out now we got yeston coming up with his latest uh buffalo bulletin topic to be determined we'll see that'll come out probably wednesday or thursday and i know kevin's going to be starting his starting his rankings his positional rankings for the 2023 season sometime soon hopefully this week and i'm going to be combining well i'm going to start with the offense i was going to say i'm going to combine the defensive ends and the defensive tackles but that'll be a little bit further down the line i think i'm going to start with offensive tackles and interior offensive linemen because it gets to be a little bit too jumbled together when you're trying to do the top 20 tackles and then the top 20 guards and centers so i'm just going to do the top 10 tackles top 10 interior offensive linemen and then we'll have 20 players to talk about in one article and one episode on here. And I was just thinking while I was saying that, if you missed what I was saying earlier, I was talking to Quentin Morris earlier today at the Jeffrey Brady bocce beach or beach bocce tournament up at Woodlawn. 
Quentin is interested in coming on the show. If I could finagle it where he comes on the week that I write and rank the tight ends, that would be pretty cool. Where he could like give his own rankings. I'm thinking out loud. I don't want to get us all excited and that it doesn't happen, but if that could actually work, that that would be pretty cool. Indeed. Yeah, I'm excited for that. So, all right. Um, almost went two hours tonight. Uh, appreciate all you guys for being a part of the show tonight. Appreciate you guys for coming on, Zach and Bryce. And yes, that will wrap up episode 12. Lucky number 13 coming up next week. So Stevie Johnson episode. <laughs> Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis. <laughs> oh, so, all right. Uh, with that, I already said goodnight like three times, but we'll say it a fourth. Good night and go Bills. Go Bills, baby.